Hey, good morning, Encounter family. Great to be with you today. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Because he is the one who we are here to worship today. Amen? I don't know about you, but I came to meet with Jesus today along with all of you. And can't tell you how thankful I am to be here. I wanted to just share a little bit of uh, Field family news. My last name's Field. I'm John Field. If we haven't met, by the way. And I'm still the newish lead pastor around here. So if you're a guest with us today, you're, we get to be new with you. Uh, but many of you have been praying with our family and uh, just encouraging us along the way with, our, with uh, just housing and things like that. And uh, we just wanted to share with you just as a praise that we were able to close on a house about a week and a half ago. So, yay God. So, we just give God the glory for it and we're thankful and uh, just thankful for his goodness. You know, we haven't seen a lot of our stuff. For, it's either been boxed up or out of reach for a little bit, almost six months now. It's going to be a little bit like Christmas when we actually get to move into the house. Uh, but it's just a lesson on how just God is so good in transition and just providing. And so uh, we are praising God. And again, thank you for your prayers. We have been encouraged by you. Well, my uh, wife Amy uh, last Sunday was uh, up in Northern California helping one of my uh, our family members uh, get ready to move. And my son Josh, who's 17, he goes to Ventura High, he had a track meet last Saturday. And so after the track meet, Josh and I decided to go uh, up the central coast a little bit, up to the Pismo Shell Beach area, and just go have some recreation and fun together. Uh, we uh, brought our two furry companions. So that's uh, Finley and Chewy. So Finley is a three-year-old golden doodle. He's about 55 pounds, and he has all the energy to prove it, all right? Uh, he's just this young puppy, you know, but in an adult dog body. And then we also have Chewy. And Chewy is, he's about eight years old. He's a half Cocker Spaniel, half Shih Tzu. He weighs in at about 25 pounds on a good day. Uh, he's stubborn, and he thinks he can hang with the big dogs, all right? And all of our pets have been named after Star Wars figures. I think I've shared that before. So Finley's after Finn, one of the recent Star Wars movies. Chewie's after Chewbacca. We used to have an Obi for Obi-Wan Kenobi. But anyways, we were driving up the northern coast, and one of the things that I was quickly reminded of every time I go outside, by the way, have you seen the mountains today? Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. God, God is so amazing, so beautiful. Yeah, just his creation, and I was just, man, just thanking the Lord for where we get to live, and just his, the great cathedral outside, but we were driving up, and we were just on the 101, uh, kind of in the Shell Beach area, and there was this great mountain range up above us, above the freeway, and we saw this trail, and we're like, hey, let's go try that, and uh, we saw this place where people were parking, and we followed some locals, and started climbing up this hill, and it was one of those, it was a four-mile loop, but the first two miles was like all the, you know, just super steep, and we were, you know, cruising along, and uh, I was really glad not to be the slowest one, because our dog, Chewy, basically when we were nearing the top, anytime there was just this little piece of shade, or we paused for, you know, to catch our breath or something, he would just crawl up in this little ball, you know, and, and kind of rest, he'd kind of look at you like, are you seriously having me climb this hill? He's like, I know you're my master, but where, where are you leading me? I mean, he was completely out of gas. Finley and Josh, they're like, whoo, you know, they're just cruising up there. Uh, and in a much greater way and on a grander, grander way in our life today, uh, we're going to go to God's word. And he has some hills that he's invited us to walk with him. And sometimes when we're walking on hills, we get a little fatigued. 
And today, God, through his scripture, really just wants to give us an invitation to pray for power and for strength to walk with him as we walk the journey of the cross together with, with our Lord. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 15. And I just ask you to stand for the reading of God's word today. Uh, and then we're going to pray and just ask God for his strength and power uh, as his church. Uh, by the way, if you're a guest with us, uh, we always put the scriptures on the screen. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. Also on your way in, there's a place right outside those doors where you can scan a QR code and get the notes electronically. We also put it on the walls if you want to scan those as well. Uh, they're there for your, to, so you can, and there's questions for you to talk about with others later. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. We've been in this series that we're calling Blueprint, and this is what God has to say to us today. For this reason, encounter family, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. In a moment, we're going to pray, but what we basically have in these beginning verses are three prayer focuses, if you will, really powerful prayer focuses, and one powerful image or picture that God gives us of being the church, what being the church is all about. And their prayer focuses for us to pray for power. So let's pray for God's power right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we thank you for every person in this room, those listening online. God, we just are grateful to gather before you and Lord, we are just inviting your power in this moment. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us through your living word. And we are praying this in your strength, Jesus, and in your name and for your glory. Lord, would you touch us right now? Uh, we just sense and acknowledge your presence today. And uh, we ask you to speak very intimately to each of us and to all of us together. In your precious name, Jesus, amen. Please be seated. Well, a few weeks ago, we began talking about how we are God's workmanship prepared by grace, how we are masterpieces of grace. And what we're doing right now is we're walking through a book of the Bible. Uh, it's called Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in and around Ephesus and is also written to us through the living word of God. And we talked about how we're masterpieces of grace, and the more that we understand our blueprint in Jesus Christ, our identity in Jesus Christ, who we are in Christ as his followers, the closer and stronger our walk with the Lord will be, and the more we'll experience his power and presence and love in life. And we looked at a couple weeks ago, and it's worth reminding that the book of Ephesians is basically broken up into two sections. 
So chapters 1, 2, and 3 feel one way, and chapters 4, 5, and 6 feel another way. And I actually have an invitation for all of you. Sometime this week, take you know, a half hour or 40 minutes, whatever it would take you, and read the entire book of Ephesians in one sitting. So chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. There's only six chapters. And just kind of see what it feels like. Because basically in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians, all Paul basically does is say, hey, remember your blueprint in Christ. Remember your biblical design. Remember that you are a masterpiece of grace. Remember how God loves you. And how he poured his mercy out on you. And how at one point in your life you were spiritually dead, separated from God, and he performed CPR of the soul and brought you back to life through the power of Jesus Christ and the living presence of the Holy Spirit. And then in chapters 4 through 6, Paul begins to go after some areas of life that God wants to transform in us. And he begins to talk about how, you know, sometimes we can be like caterpillars that are crawling uh, in our life, but really God has designed us to be butterflies that fly in the power of who Jesus Christ is. And he wants us to move in some areas of life, to move from a place where our life is dominated by rage to actually having a life where righteous anger that's actually healthy in relationship at times. And where you move from hate among some of your relationships with one another to a place of restoration and reconciliation. And how we move from deception in our talks and relationships with one another to actually speaking the truth in love and seeing how God works in the midst of it. And how we move from places of sexual immorality to actually places of grace that are places of purity that are sustained by grace. And how God has actually designed us to not be in the realm of darkness, but to live in the spirit of the light through the victory of Jesus Christ. Because Paul knew that the Ephesians were not living on the outside how God had designed them to live on the inside. And they were essentially crawling in their faith when they could be flying, where be, their understanding their blueprint in Christ could move them from a place where obedience was more of a burden to where obedience actually becomes a joy. Amen. See, when we truly understand who we are in Christ, following Christ is this thing of joy. And moving from a spiritual crawl to spiritual flight is all about living out of our spiritual blueprint where we're designed, as we learned a couple weeks ago, where we're designed for love and freedom, and power through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How we have been adopted in love by the Father, and we have been redeemed for freedom by the Son, and we have been sealed for power by the Spirit. And we have been adopted by God the Father, not as slaves or servants or soldiers, but we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the Father who loves us. And we have been redeemed, and that means purchased, not by money, but we have been purchased by the very blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
And we have been sealed, not with hot wax as documents were sometimes done back then to show ownership, and not sealed with a branding iron as was done with cattle and even with slaves back then, or sealed with a tattoo as was done by Roman soldiers, but we have actually been sealed by the very presence of the Holy Spirit. And with his presence comes his power, his strength. And today's verses are all about asking for and receiving that strength from the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, with these three prayer focuses and this one powerful image of what it really means to be the New Testament church. Now here's the crazy thing. When we talk about being the church, every one of us in this room, we come with a certain amount of images of what the church really is, what it means to be the church. In fact, all of us on some level have some distortions that cloud our view of what it means to be the New Testament church. There's actually this Christian leader by the name of Tom Nelson, and he basically says there's basically four different common distortions or pictures of what it means to be the church. And he gives four of them. One of them, he says, the first distorted picture of being the church is seeing the church as a gas station. This is where, when you come to church, you come to church to fill up your gas tank because you're running low on empty, all right? You come on Sunday, you hear a good sermon, you fill your tank, you clean your windshield, you might buy a snack to get back on the road, you know, might put a little air in your tires, but church is just this place you stop on the way to the real destinations of life. That's the gas station view of church. The other view of church or distortion of church is where you see the church as a movie theater, And this is where you see church primarily as a place for Christian entertainment, where you go for an hour of escape and hopefully the seats are comfortable. How are the seats today, by the way? Are they okay? I mean, these seats are kind of, they've been around for a while, but man, they do the job, don't they? Uh, you know, but when the movie theater view of church is, you know, you hope the seats are comfortable and, you know, you might even reserve your seats. And I know some of you do reserve your seats on Sunday. You may not go to the theater and have the seats that recline but, or reserve online, but maybe you do reserve online because you sit in the same, you guys were in the same place as last Sunday, and they're proud of it. Even some of you who are guests, you've been here just for a couple of weeks, and you're already, did you reserve your seats online? Because you're sitting in the same place too. It's, it's really crazy. But the, the movie theater view of church, this is like you went to see Top Gun Maverick, and when you walk out of church, you feel like, You can take on a foreign power, and you are going to save the world. In fact, when you walk out of church, you feel like you could fly Mach 9 and live to tell about it, all right? If you're younger, you walk out of church, and you feel like they are going to pick me for the mission today. And if you're a retired person, when you walk out of church, if you have the movie theater view, you feel like they are going to call me out of retirement for one last mission to save the nation, The only problem is, is when you walk out of here, nothing changes. Because it's more of an entertainment view of being the church. Nothing significant has happened on the inside, but maybe you've laughed a little bit while you were there. And the third distortion is the church is a drugstore. This is where you just see church as this place you come to fill your prescriptions, to meet the sicknesses of life. Church is more therapeutic in nature. And then the final distortion is where you see the church as a big box retailer. 
all right? So this is like your one-stop shop, all right? You come to Costco or Walmart or Target, all right, Target, for the uninitiated out there. And this is where church is a place that offers the best products in a clean, safe environment for you and your family. The church offers a great service at one low price, 10%. That's all it is, 10% right there. And church is a producer of programs for children and young people. It's like you see church as a cruise ship rather than being on a battleship that's on a mission. Now, the problem with all of those distortions of church is they're not in the Bible. In fact, they all have one thing in common, really, is they see the church as primarily being about me instead of being about him. And the beautiful thing is, when the church is about him, we are comforted and we are healed and our friends and family are ministered to. And all those things happen along with as we're worshiping the Lord. And there's a much greater purpose and there's a greater power and it's a power that the Apostle Paul is praying that the Ephesians will experience and that God is inviting us to pray that we will experience as well. But he gives us a different picture of, of church in order to experience that power. In fact, I think Paul's pretty savvy here because he knows we all come with distortions and so he begins with prayer because he knows sometimes to get rid of distortions, it takes prayer. And this is what he prays in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... And, the love, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In other words, this piece of our blueprint in Christ is so important, we're actually invited to pray for one another that we'll get it, that we'll see this new picture of what being the church is all about. In light of that, I actually want to just invite you to pray right now. Uh, you know, with your eyes open, it's okay. I pray with my eyes open all the time, especially while I'm driving, you know. It's helpful, all right? But you can pray with your eyes open right now, just one of those walking, sitting prayers where you just pray for someone near you and just, just pray for them. You may not know their name. Whoever God brings to mind, just say, Lord, would you just give them a clear view today of who you are, of their blueprint in you, and what being the church is all about. Because this is what Paul begins to pray. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul begins praying for a power given only through the Spirit. Pray for power through the Spirit, encounter family. Do you know that the Holy Spirit loves to empower us? He loves to give us strength. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And he's leading us to this picture of the church, and it's this picture that connects us to the hope for which Christ has called us. And it's a picture that connects us to the riches of the inheritance that we have as daughters and sons of God who loves us. 
And it's a picture that connects us to an eternal plan where we are on an eternal team, where we have the strength of the Holy Spirit who has an eternal power. And as this prayer continues, he begins to pray that the church will understand God's power. He's verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward whom? What does it say? Us. You read it again. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Paul prays that God will open their eyes to see God's power. God's power. His immeasurably great power. That our God has power like no other. You see, Satan has some power. Temptation has some power. Government has some power. The media has some power. But God's power is on an altogether different level. It is immeasurably great. And this power is toward us who believe. And then Paul gives this example to make sure he, we understand how personal this is of this power at work and the source of this power for us. Verse 20, according to the working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Let that sink in. The power of God that raised Christ from the grave. The very reason we are worshiping and celebrating here today, that very power is toward us who believe. And not only did Christ raise, God raise Christ from the dead, but the Father seated him, at the end of verse 20, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. But it gets even better. I'm just getting warmed up, just so you know. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. Meaning we're also to pray for power through the Son. Jesus, the Son of God, who we follow, who leads us, loves to lead us with power, with strength. Look at verse 22 again. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. How many things is he over? All. Say that again. Yeah, some translations say everything. Why did the Father raise Christ from the dead? Why did he seek Christ at the right hand of the Father in heaven? Why has he placed all things under his feet? And this is the astonishing answer. I hope you're ready for it this morning. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to what? What does the Bible say? To the church. To the church. And then he gives us this image the undistorted, pure image of what it means to be the church in today's world as the New Testament church. 
And it is not a picture of Silva's gas station, even though they have the cheapest gas in town, all right? It is not a picture of CVS drugstore. It's not a picture of Costco or any of those things. To the church, which is his body. His body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The Bible uses this wonderful picture of what being the church is all about, where we are his body, the body of Christ. You and I make up the body of Christ. You want to know what the arms and the feet and the hands of Jesus look like? Look around you right now, because you've got some good-looking hands and feet around you today. The body of Christ is sitting all around you. That is the undistorted picture of being the church. Jesus Christ is the head, and we are the body. We see this image all over the Bible. You have 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that talks about how Christ is the head and we are the hands and feet. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's talking about how we all have this place and we actually all need each other. It reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's what we sometimes call the priesthood of all believers, meaning that we're all priests here today. I'm not the only pastor in the room. Good thing. <laughs> We're all priests. But in Ephesians chapter 1, the emphasis is on the leadership of Jesus Christ and how he loves the body. And so in Ephesians, we're being invited to pray for power in the church because God loves powering up his church, his body. And when we're connected to the body of Christ, truly connected, we're connected to the power of God being unleashed through people who are receiving power from the Holy Spirit who loves to empower the body. And from the, Jesus the Son who loves to lead us with power. And so pray for God's power for his church. You know, we have a moment coming up in a couple Sundays. It's one of those times that we specifically celebrate being one church under the leadership of Jesus Christ together. Uh, we called our All Together service. We're going to have our second one on March 12th. It happens to be Daylight Savings Sunday. And on that Sunday, so two Sundays from now, uh, we're not going to have a 9 a.m. service. We're not going to have a 10.45 a.m. service. We're having one celebration together at 10 a.m. What time is church on March 12th? Not 10.45, not 9 a.m. We're going to celebrate all together. There's something special that happens when you get all together. And we're actually praying that even some of our online congregation will come that day. You are not going to want to miss it. There's going to be a spring festival afterwards. You could, after the worship celebration, you could think of it as the after party, all right? Because anytime you worship, it needs to end with food. Amen. And so we're going to have tacos out there. There's going to be some, you know, cookie decorating for the kids, a scavenger hunt, an egg painting. The children are going to be singing in the worship service. We've got some baptisms already signed up. By the way, if you know Jesus Christ and you haven't yet taken your step to, to, to your faith step of being baptized, it's time. You see, if you know Jesus, you're ready to be baptized. You don't have to have your life all figured out. You don't have to have the Bible exactly all figured out. You just have to have Jesus figured out as your Savior. And it is time to celebrate with others. And so if you want to get baptized, it's going to be a special time. Just sign that new hair card, and you can put that in the offering boxes on the way out. 
or in the offering baskets on the way out. And we'd love to baptize you and celebrate your faith in Christ on that Sunday. So that's coming up on March 12th. And by the way, it's Daylight Savings Sunday. That means we're losing an hour that day. Everybody hates that one, right? Well, it's okay. We may lose an hour, but we are going to gain together in worship. Yeah, amen. We'll clap the Lord for that. Yeah. We're going to gain in worship and baptisms and food and just being together as one church family. And the kids are going to sing for us as well. And by the way, lunch is free, okay, just so you know. Who says you can't get a free lunch out there? It's true, you can. All right, so maybe the humbling question to ask ourselves today is this. Why does the glorious head, Jesus Christ, join himself with such a feeble body, you and me? There's only one answer, because he loves us. He loves us. And he looks at you right now as a masterpiece of grace. And he actually desires to display his power through us, display his glory. And this is the beautiful and humbling thing. God in his grace loves connecting us to his power as the church. And as we do, we become his hands and feet, empowered hands and feet to touch the world in the name of Christ. It displaying that the church is not a building we sit in, but it's actually a movement that we get to be a part of. Uh, there's a pastor by the name of Miguel de la Mora, and he once said this, Many people in your life will not read the Bible, but they will read your life. They sure will. They may not read the Bible, but they will read your life. And get this, not only as the church, as the body of Christ, do we get to display his grace to the world around us? But look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God uses the church. Gathered congregations, in motion for the Lord, masterpieces of grace, to not only shine his light to the people in the world around us, but also to the highest authorities in the spiritual realm. Wow. Wow. We get to be a, good, a picture of God's good news to the world around us and actually to the spiritual realm. And God wants us to pray for that to happen with power. Christ displays his glory through the gathering of believers and the working of his body in motion in the world. And the question is, why wouldn't we want to be fully a part of that? Why wouldn't we want to be a part of that and to worship as a part of that body and to serve as a part of that body and to give as a part of that body and to live and die for that body? There's no greater privilege for a Christ follower in this world than to display his glory on earth and in the spiritual realm. And when we grasp that undistorted picture that we are the body of the Christ, he is the head, he is our leader, it changes everything about life. And that gas station view of church and the big box retailer, the movie theater, and all of those, those are just means to an end. But the church is not a means to an end. Jesus Christ is the head, he is our Savior, He is our leader, and we are His body. Some of you might remember a story, true story, of a guy by the name of Aaron Ralston. Uh, he had a book written about him and a movie, I believe. It was called 127 Hours. 
Aaron Ralston was an adventurer, and he lived in Indiana, and he went to Utah, and he was doing some bouldering in a canyon one day, all by himself, out in the middle of nowhere. And he was in this deep crevice, and this boulder fell and pinned his arm against the, the wall of the canyon. And the rock was immovable. He, he couldn't free himself. And his arm was slowly dying, and he was basically slowly dying as well. And he waited for 127 hours, and nobody knew where he was, and he knew he wasn't going to be rescued. And so he did the unimaginable. He thought, the only way I can save myself is to do the unimaginable. And he reached into his backpack with his other hand and pulled out a dull knife and cut off his own arm to save his life. Now, Aaron Ralston can live without his arm. But I would imagine if he could, he'd love to have it back. And I wonder sometimes how the Lord feels when sometimes a boulder falls in our life and all of a sudden, for one reason or another, we get disconnected from Him, the head, and from the body. I wonder what it feels like to Him sometimes. There's this crazy true story in the Bible and the Gospels. It's when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane just before the crucifixion. And the temple guard comes in to arrest Jesus. And you might remember Peter, to defend his Lord, pulls out his sword. And he hacks off the ear of one of the temple guards. You know that story? The guy is actually named in the Bible. His name's Malchus. John chapter 18 names him. How would you like to be the guy who remembered for all eternity that Peter chopped off your ear, right? Maybe you'd be proud of it. I don't know. But what Jesus does in that moment, he's on the eve of the crucifixion. I find this so curious that this is even mentioned in the Bible. He's on the eve of the crucifixion. He's just sweat blood and tears in the garden for the sacrifice that he's going to make. But he pauses in that moment as he's being arrested and he reaches down on the ground, picks up that piece of flesh. He says, you know, this ear isn't supposed to be over here. It's supposed to be right here. Puts it back on Malchus's head. You know, sometimes in life, we get hacked off <laughs> or we get hacked up. And without even realizing it, sometimes even for righteous reasons, you know, I think of Peter. You know, Peter, I don't think he was actually aiming for the ear. I think he was like trying to slouch the guy down the middle. He thought for righteous reasons he was doing this, but it really wasn't what Christ wanted. And I think sometimes even for righteous reasons, we'll take a step back from God from his church, from his body, because we got hacked off or hacked up. We got our reasons. But really, Jesus just wants to take our life and pick it up again. You go. And maybe today is the day. And God is just whispering in your heart, you've been back here for too long. You don't belong down here. You belong right here. You are part of my body. And I am the head, and I love you. And you are a masterpiece of grace. It is time to re-embrace me. And in re-embracing me, re-embrace my church. For it is through my church that I am displaying my glory as masterpieces of grace, not only to the world who is lost in sin, 
but to the very highest rulers of the spiritual realm. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we don't even know how it happened and when it happened, and sometimes we do. But Lord, we end up getting disconnected from you and from your church. And Lord, we just pray for restoration today. God, we just ask that you would speak to each one of us and assure us that we're masterpieces of grace. And Lord, I just ask that you'll call people to restoration in you and to your body, to your church. And if there's some here today who have felt hacked off or hacked up by life or by something that happened, Lord, would you be the great healer today and reestablish their blueprint at being at the heart of your body, your church, right here at Encounter. We love you, dear Jesus. We commit to following you as the head with all of our heart and with all of our life, no matter where that takes us. It is our desire to worship you and to serve you, to sacrifice for you, to love in your name, to sacrifice in your name, to give in your name. We thank you that we get to be the hands and feet of such a great and glorious Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.